0: I've been trying to connect this microphone to the software for about 15 minutes and I just keep getting an error message. Right, last try. All right, I think I've got it. Oh, yes, please. Connect. Yes. Error message, unable to connect. Oh, for fuck... Hello and welcome to another lockdown episode of Blethered, I'm Sean MacDonald and I'm joined by Radio X's Toby Tarrant for his second appearance on the show. We talk about the new ITV drama Quiz which tells the story of the British Army Major who cheated to win the main prize on who wants to be a millionaire. We discuss being hounded by the tabloid press and the wider damage that the phone hacking scandal caused to Toby's family. And we address the impact the coronavirus is having on our lives and we reflect on how it's brought the nation together at a time when we probably need it most. We both love a laugh, so like in the first episode, we talk about childish wind-ups and prank calls. And you'll hear about the well-meaning but now awful advice that Toby gave to the men of the UK ahead of the now cancelled European football championships. As you'll have heard, I've got a really good microphone that annoyingly wouldn't connect, so I apologise for the lack of sound quality in my part, but it was unfortunately the best that I could do given the circumstances. I will work hard to get that fixed for future episodes. If you want access to extra blathered episodes, new shows, and to support the production of the show, then the link to the Patreon page is in the episode notes. It's not free to create, and I do this 100% on my own, so all support really does go a long way. And I also want to say a massive thank you to the people who have pledged their support so far because that's helped me to bring even more episodes out and much more in the pipeline. So I do hope that you're enjoying them. If you enjoy this one, feel free to share it. And one last thing, stay safe, stay home, keep your distance. So we're back with a second lockdown episode of Blethered. I was 50-50 about doing another remote interview, but I've asked the audience and they wanted another. So I phoned a friend in London's <laughs> nice. London's nicest guy, also known as Toby Tarrant, that stepped up to the plate. Toby, I'm sure you've never heard anybody say those jokes to you, ever.
1: No, no. Do you know what? the uh, So the funny thing is, right, because obviously I get it a little bit, but my dad's had it a million times, right? So my dad says he gets it, Honestly, five times a day, but everybody thinks that they're the first person that's ever done it. And is he polite, uh, he, is
0: he polite enough to just laugh along with
1: them? It uh, depends. Depends what day he's having, to be honest. But uh, no, he's, he's, he's pretty. He's pretty calm with everyone. But he said once he, because um, he is pretty much everyone recognizes my old man. So if he walks into a pub or a shop, or whatever it is, he's normally recognized by pretty much everyone. And uh, he walked into a pub once. He'd been he'd been walking for miles out in the countryside somewhere, and he was boiling and sweating. And uh, he walked into this pub, and it was just the barman. And my dad walked up, and normally they do a bit of a double take. But this yeah. guy didn't flinch. Just went, hi there, yeah, what will I get you? And dad was like, oh, sweet. He has no idea who I am. <laughs> so the guy, my dad's like, yeah, pint of Guinness, whatever. So the guy pours it, and my dad said he's so sweaty. He's walked for miles. He's sweating his tits off, and he's watching this Guinness. And he's so excited about it. And the guy pours it, lets it rest, take payment, fills it up, hands it to my dad. And just as my dad goes to take it, he pours it out in the tray and goes, "But we don't want to give you that." <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and my dad was like, "You prick! I've walked four miles of this pint of Guinness." Uh, so, yeah, I
0: think that's the angriest my dad's ever time.
1: got. Yeah,
0: but yeah, that's amazing. Well, I suppose that takes me quite nicely on to, as you're aware, because I have seen you talking about it. The three-part drama quiz starts on yeah. ITV Monday, 13th of April. For anybody who isn't aware, it tells the story of Charles Ingram, who was famously found guilty of cheating to win a million pounds, and who wants to be a millionaire back in 2001, obviously hosted by your dad. Um, I've got so many questions about this, uh, and I actually don't even know where to start. I mean... Is that weird for you? Like what are your memories of that time period? Because you obviously lived through that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was mad. And I never I never get bored of talking about it, to be fair, because it was when it happened, it was the biggest news story on the planet. I I think people forget just how big it was when it happened. Because I mean, my dad at the time, my dad hated Charles Ingram and you know, was living at him because to him that was disrespecting this show that they built and everything. Yeah. And also my dad got. My dad didn't care too much at first. I think my dad was like, "You know what? Good luck to the bloke. He gave it a go. He got caught, but you know, tried to win a million quid. It happens. There's worse crimes you can commit." But yeah. then uh, my dad actually got called into court, and they tried to say things to my dad, like the uh, the defense did, tried to say things like, "Well, Chris, surely you'd notice if somebody was coughing and cheating on this show." Blah 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 blah. My dad was like, "Hang on." He's like, you've never hosted a live TV show, but I've got to read an auto cue. He goes, you watch half an hour, but it takes us two hours to film. There's people coughing, sneezing, and I'm trying to concentrate on hosting a show as well. So Mm. he got annoyed when he got dragged into court and stuff. Um, And at the time, he hated Charles Ingram. But when it was all over, my dad was like, actually, it made the show even bigger. Yeah. The show was already the show was already big, but once the coughing scandal happened, it went to a whole new level. It just became the biggest show on the planet after that. So, uh, but I remember it vividly. I mean, I'd be going to school, and my mates would be asking. Well, I was only about eleven, but my mates were asking like, "What's going on?" And I was going, "You know as much as I do," to be honest, right? Like, it was crazy. <laughs> but um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited about this. Um, it's going to be. They were they were talking about apparently talking about delaying the release of it because of what's going on at the minute. But then they decided. Actually, what better time to release it? The whole exactly. of the country is going to be watching it. So, but my dad's seen it. My dad's already. He got sent the tapes, right. so he's he's already watched it, and he said it's brilliant. Um, the o he he says it's amazing. Uh, the only thing that he was annoyed about. Uh, and I don't want to give too much away, but I think the ending slightly makes it look as if, like, maybe he wasn't guilty, whereas in reality, he was as guilty as sin. <laughs> there was right, no, yeah. no grey area. Um, so, so I feel like that was a bit annoyed about that. But other than that, no, it's, uh, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Did you know that, uh, you know, John Ronson, who, who wrote the... Uh, oh, fuck, what's that book he wrote? So You've Been Publicly Shamed? Have you ever oh, heard really? of that no.
1: No, no, no. What was this? Right, so
0: John Ronson's a journalist, and he he's wrote. He wrote um, the men who Stayed at goats. It was turned into a film. He wrote. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He covered that trial for the Guardian. So he's, he's oh, a really very, very prominent, very famous guy now, and he covered it for the Guardian. And he also wrote that he thought there was a degree of ambiguity around it. You know, were they potentially not guilty? Um, I can't remember the points he made. I probably should have written them down, but I read it in yeah, passing yeah, just that. a wee while back. Uh, I read it in passing a wee while back and he was saying that, you know, there was a, a subconscious thing where people could maybe cough or, you know, people could go, no, no, as if don't say that answer. I don't particularly buy that. I don't know all the facts, but I thought that was also a very interesting caveat in itself that John Ronson covered this trial as a then sort of unknown journalist. Yeah, um, I mean...
1: The, the only thing that they've never got to the bottom of, because uh, the documentary that came out at the time, which I think broke records for it, was the most watched ITV show of all time, or whatever, when the documentary first came out. And I think it's still on YouTube and the internet and stuff. But,
0: 17 um, million viewers it got. Is that is how 16, many? It, it, 17 it was
1: million. Not, it, it felt like the whole nation was watching it. It was mad. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So there you go. 17 million, which is crazy numbers. So... Um, When you watch that, I mean, there's no question they cheated because it adds up in that documentary. There's things like where Tekwin Whittock, who's the bloke who was coughing behind Charles Ingram, he messes up and coughs on the wrong letter. So then the wife steps in and coughs and says no. or so. I mean, it was pretty. But the one thing they've never got to the bottom of is there must have been, it's fascinating, there must have been a sort of second gunman on the grassy and old scenario. Somebody must have been feeding Tekwin Whittock the answers. Because otherwise, he'd just go in the chair and win a million pounds.
0: Exactly. I thought that myself. But
1: but 2001 was just on the brink of smartphones and 4G, well, uh, back then, whatever it was on your phone or whatever. So they, they hadn't really planned security around that. But they think somebody somewhere has never been caught who was basically feeding the answers to Techwin Whittock because why else if he knew all the answers, just sit in the chair yourself. And he did end up in the chair and he didn't win that much money.
0: Exactly. The um there was also something that was exposed that was found out. I don't know if you're aware of this, that people hacked the system in a sense where they discovered that the questions were um comprised from basically information. I think it's maybe the national database for statistics. And what they oh, would really? do is people as like a syndicate and people would pay X amount of money to then receive certain answers or to receive certain assistance. And I think it was it was estimated that something like £4 for every tenor that was won was won as part of this syndicate. And I think. Oh, really? I, I don't know if it was maybe in the documentary or maybe when they were doing research for the show just recently for the show quiz. And they, I think they confronted people and they said, What we did wasn't illegal. You know, your system had flaws in it and we exposed them.
1: Yeah, um, which and, is
0: so mental for what you think is just such a lighthearted hearted time TV show. There's like so much darkness and scandal around
1: it. Yeah, it's mad. I mean, it doesn't surprise me though because it's a million pounds and no. people do, people rob banks for less than a million quid. I mean, it's yeah. a serious amount of money. So if there's ways to, you know, be fraudulent and nick it, because that was the thing that the reason the show was so successful is so David Briggs, who came out of it, was an absolute genius. He's a lovely man and he's an absolute genius. and he. Um, he came up with it quite simple. It was 15 questions with a couple of lifelines, but it wasn't anything too groundbreaking. But yeah. his big thing was, We're going to give away a million pounds, and the TV companies were going, Well, where are you going to get that million pounds from? And he said, From adverts and sponsors. And they said, Well, mm-hmm. and he goes, But why are you going to get so much advertising and so much sponsorship? And he goes, Because we're giving away a million pounds. And you forget, yeah. before that, you used to win. A washing machine, you want a speedboat on bull'seye you want a trip to you know at the very best you want a trip to the Bahamas on t v yeah no yeah. one had ever given away a million pounds before, and now you know people get people win fifty grand at four o'clock in the afternoon on daytime t v but back then a million pounds was absolutely nuts and uh so I'm not surprised people tried to scam it, and like I say. 2001, technology was moving so quickly. There were some people that were probably ahead of the technology that Millionaire was using, so nothing surprises me. But uh, in the long run, I think it made the show bigger than ever.
0: For any younger listeners who might not realise, it was the biggest thing at the time. I had the game on the, for the PlayStation. That's how big it was. Like I would yeah. sit and play a PlayStation game of what is it, a quiz, and now people might think that's boring, but there was the association of the just the glitch and, and, and how huge it was. Was there like... For you being at school, like were you like a, a focus of attention or like did you feel a certain limelight from that?
1: No, it's a weird one. I mean, the thing was for me growing up, so my dad had done was when I was before I was born, which was a huge, huge show before our time, but massive. And I'd probably say it's still the one thing that people come up to me about more than anything. It's the one on the street yeah. that the most people say, Oh, I miss was blah, blah, blah. So he was already, and then also, because I grew up around London and my dad did the Capital Breakfast Show in London, he was already, everybody listened to his breakfast show and stuff. So he was already like well known when I went to school, but definitely Millionaire was a whole new level. Mm. You felt it, you know, um, you felt that suddenly dad was, because radio, they can't see you. There's something about TV that uh, catapults you to a whole new level of celebrity and stuff. And so yeah, so um for a younger generation, uh you know, millionaire kind of was the reason that people knew who my dad was and stuff. But speaking of fraud, <laughs> now <laughs> you talked about the game on the so this is a completely true story. So do you remember they used to have the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire machine in the pubs? Yes. So in the pubs loads, um Especially like around London and stuff, but in all the pubs, you had the Who Wants to be a Millionaire quiz machine, right? And you went and you put a quid in and you see how far you got and you could win a bit of money out. And I think the million was like a tet was like a tenner, right? So we had the pub machine in our house. So Sorry. when they were releasing so when they're releasing all the pub machines, they said to my dad, they said, Oh, Chris, do you want one in your house? And he went, Yeah, go on then. So they it's this huge thing that they came and wheeled in and was just in our like front hallway for about two years. <laughs> um and my sisters i was too young at the time but my sisters we used to play on it all day because it was free so we just stand there all day playing on this quiz machine we played it so much that we knew all the questions and then my sisters would go to the pub near us put a quid in and take a tenner out every single time and they'd never told anyone in the pub that they were my dad's daughters, that they had the machine in their front room. So
0: People my just sister, thought they were absolute
1: geniuses. Yeah, so that's it. So my sisters, who are, you know, I don't want to be too unkind, but they'll be the first to admit it. They are not genius at all. But <laughs> they would literally go to the pub with one pound, knowing that that will serve them for the rest of the night. They, they didn't pay for a drink for about a year and a half. And then that's what happened was, they updated all the questions and all the machines in the pubs, but it never came round and updated ours. So after they'd done that, we were screwed. But for about a year and a half, my sister's got free drinks.
0: What a result. <laughs> See, now, if, if there was a game like that, people would, you couldn't do it now because people would just stand with their phone and just Google the answer. Yeah. You would just get it. So as you say, with the, with the development, advancement of uh, technology, that makes it a lot easier to scam it. Um, yeah. I
1: mean, people cheat. You, you, you know, you say that, I'm not surprised people tried to steal a million quid because people cheat if you go to any pub quiz in the country there's people going to the toilet and getting their phones out and that's the win you know oh, yeah. a 25 pound voucher and stuff like it doesn't surprise me at all that people tried to scam millionaire and and that's that charles ingram he's the one that we know about but it might have happened and we might never know about it true
0: the, uh, his biggest Michael mistake
1: was going for a million quid he never should have gone for the million if he'd walked yeah. off for 250 grand i don't think they would have followed him as intently
0: yeah uh, Michael Sheen plays your dad he's if anyone else doesn't know he's played David Frost and Frost Nixon and Brian Clough and the Damned United so he's known for pe- getting people down to a teen. it's almost freaky because I saw the recreated photo of your dad walking into court I think you tweeted it did they yeah. spend any t- Did they spend any time together like for him to prepare or to pick up his mannerisms
1: not at all but so it's funny so my dad was at I, I want to say maybe it was the Pride of Britain Awards Uh within the last six months and so my dad was there and my dad knew that Michael Sheen was playing him in a film and so my dad has never met Michael Sheen before they've never met but my dad sees Michael Sheen over in the distance doing a load of interviews and stuff and my dad's like I've got to go over and say hello because I know that he's playing me in a film right now so dad walks over and taps Michael Sheen on the shoulder and uh, Michael Sheen turns around expecting it to be some fan who wants a selfie or something. Yeah. And he turns around and my dad's there grinning at him. And Michael Sheen apparently was like, no fucking way. He goes, I have been, <laughs> goes, I have been staring at that face for about a year. Because Michael Sheen said, I've locked myself in a room with every single episode of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire ever. And I've just watched them on repeat, just on a loop. And he goes, and it's so crazy. And he was like touching my dad's face going, I can't believe you're actually here. So, and they had a really lovely chat. My dad said he was absolutely lovely. Um, and he was really nice, actually. He was really complimentary to my dad and said, I've just got to say that I loved watching you and that you were a genius, like, hosting it and stuff. But no, they had a really nice chat. And my dad said he was absolutely lovely. And uh, well, my dad, my dad, to be honest, he thinks it's awesome. He just thinks yeah. it's so cool. Cause, and he said, I, ch- I chatted to my dad the other day, and he said, Do you know, what? watching it really brought me back to, it was such a crazy but exciting time of my life. Like I just forgot how... Big this was, and seeing it brought that all back. And he my dad's buzzing about it. I think he's really chuffed. And I think he's really yeah. pleased with how it's come out as well. He says it's brilliant.
0: I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Um because having read up on it, I'm like, oh shit, I forgot how big this was as well. I forgot it was that long ago. Like, obviously, what's that, 19 years ago? Bloody hell. Yeah, it's mad, so isn't be,
1: it? It's scary.
0: It'll be good watching. Um another thing I kind of wanted to touch on, you might not have anything to say on this, but so, I mean, we're, like I suppose I'll see what I mean. So, like, press behaviour and conduct these days is slightly improved as a result of recent events, namely, obviously, the Leveson inquiry, which, again, if yeah. anybody's unaware, it was, like, a, a judicial public inquiry into the culture, practices, and ethics of the British press following the phone hacking scandal. Obviously, we're seeing suicides and things. Like that are slightly more human or, or, or less feral, um... But the obviously when you were younger, the tabloid press were horrendous, were ruthless. Did they follow you about at that time, or did you were you ever in the end uh, any of that sort of conduct? Uh, you know, the way that yeah. they, they just go after people.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I've, I will never say a great word about the press in this country. To be honest with you, I don't uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't ever believe that they're more humane and less feral. I just think they maybe are now more aware that they've got to be a bit more subtle about it um yeah. but you know i mean nothing that the press do surprises me to be honest in this country and and look, not i'm generalizing there's lots of brilliant journalists out there uncovering things all the time but the proper gutter press and the you know the tabloids um you know caroline flack was it, it doesn't surprise me that something like that can happen at all because they are they are ruthless and they're the first ones that write you know crocodile tears the day after something like caroline flack is the same people that hounded her for months beforehand Yeah, man, we, we we. I I don't know if it was so much around the hacking scandal, the coughing scandal, I can't remember. But uh, during my mum and dad's very, very public and very, very messy divorce, we, me and my sister had to go to school with blankets over our head because paparazzi Mm. were waiting outside the front door to take photos through the windows and stuff, you know. So, and that was when I was 14, something like that. And they camped outside our house for weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks. We had all the curtains drawn. We didn't go outside. So, yeah, no, they, um, they. I don't think, and I don't think that stopped. I really don't think that stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think they try and try and make it sound like they're better behaved. But, I mean, when you start, you know, the, we had our phones hacked as well. My uh, my mum and dad both had their phones hacked. So uh, my mum and dad fell out with some of their best friends in the world because what would happen is my mum would say, chat to her mate over the phone and tell him uh, tell him or her something. And it would be in the papers the next day. Mm. And so my mum's going, well, I've only told one person that story. So they must have sold the story to the press. So my mum fell out of one of her best friends in the world and my dad the same. And we only found out years later that it was because their phone was hacked. So, I mean, that's the damage they don't even think about what they're doing. My mum's never, never spoken to her friend again because the trust was gone. And my dad didn't speak to one of his best mates in the world for a few years. Um, but they don't care because it fills two pages for them and then they'll write a new story tomorrow. Yeah, I uh I could talk negatively about the press all day, but uh yeah, I know I I I think the uh I think the press is shocking, but they're a law unto themselves. And it's difficult because look, I I work in the media, so do you. There's gonna be times where I'm doing projects where I need the media to get people to watch it or listen to it. So they they know that they've got you because we need them. If if we're, you know, in huge inverted commas celebrities, we need them to promote the stuff that we do and we need them to be on our side. But at the same time, we know that if you slip up, they will, uh, they will be like piranhas smelling a drop of blood. Um, Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, but I, uh, it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's down to, I personally couldn't live my life like that. I couldn't live my life like that, but, Sadly, there's individuals out there that that are happy to do it, and you know they make a lot of money doing it, and that's up to them. But I, I, a lot of them, I don't know how they sleep at night. If I'm really honest, I
0: know, I know. Really, I, also, I find it quite hard to believe that it's it's not illegal, that it doesn't come under the the banner of of harassment. Now, so if I stand outside somebody's house and I'm constantly taking photographs of them, uh, you know, I, I make it difficult for them to leave, and I'm I'm flashing a camera every time they try and drive anywhere. I think I might have the police at my door, but if I have a banner which says pressed and it's like, all right, okay, then there's your pass. Like, okay, well, where the fuck... How how does that then make it all right? It's it's, it's utterly bizarre. It's it's
1: absolutely... No, that's absolutely spot on. I mean, you know, you look at... If you watch the Amy Winehouse documentary and you look, she can't step outside her door in Camden without, you know... Fifty blokes with cameras waiting outside for her and stuff. No wonder she sat inside and did loads of heroin. Like poor, poor <laughs> thing. Like the poor thing can't even go to the pub without getting. And and you know someone like Caroline Flack, who is a beautiful, beautiful lady. If a load of blokes just went and stood outside any beautiful lady's house for hours on end, they'd get locked yeah. up. Uh, <laughs> like, like yeah, it's uh, no, it's true. They are a complete law unto themselves, and. Um you know and it's also this whole freelance photography thing you know just blokes basically now everybody you can go and get a really nice camera for a 50 quid so it's just any anyone can pick up a camera stand outside someone's house and say yeah I'm a journalist I'm a photographer oh yeah it's 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 nuts um you just like, like imagine- i said there's a lot
0: of- like imagine some wee fat guy, some wee sweating, bald fat guy being dragged away by the police as they shout, you'll be, i tell you what, you're going to be charged for harassment and stalking. You were trying to take photos up that young woman, scurrying as she got out there. And he's like, no, 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 I can explain, I can explain. <sighs> I work for the Daily Star, and they're like, oh, what did I say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, his jacket down and apologising, like picking him up. I'm sorry, you should have told us. You, we didn't realise you worked for the Star. We thought you were just some weirdo with a camera. Oh, God, yeah. No, <laughs>
1: exactly that. It's exactly that. And I, I don't know. I'm going to stereotype massively here, but most of them are sweaty, fat, bald blokes as well. I don't know why that's the that's the prerequisite to be one of these guys, but uh yeah. You know, they are just all stood up there and just, I look at them all, I'm like, you sad bastards, just leave them alone, yeah, just go and go and do something else. If you're a photographer, go take some pictures of a beautiful waterfall and a bit of nature and be a proper photographer. What are you doing? What are you doing?
0: Yeah, my, yeah. YouTube rab- my YouTube rabbit hole tonight is going to be celebrities meltdowns paparazzi. That'll be like my search and just seeing like celebrities smashing paparazzi's cameras out of their hands.
1: Uh, th- now, this is uh, genuinely this is a law that I would introduce in this country, right? If f- this this should be the fair trade, right? So if you are a journalist or a photographer, and you want to stand outside someone's house and take photos of them, they should have fair game that they can do whatever they want in reply. Yeah. So if if Liam Gallagher wants to punch a journalist in the face and smash his camera up, then good luck to him. <laughs> <Yeah, I know. laughs> it'll be entertaining to watch at least and just and, and they should just have a free reign to do what they want in response i think that's a fair game
0: one of my favorite stories about him is he was accused of <laughs> riding a dog like a horse there was a story he was accused of riding <laughs> a dog like a horse in a london pub and a journalist was like following him with a, a microphone or the dictaphone in his face and he's ignoring them <laughs> and they're like uh, Liam, do you have any comment about the the allegations that you're riding a a, a large dog like a horse around this pub? And he's ignoring them and they just keep repeating the questions. And then he stops and turns around really exasperated and goes, fucking hell, I've rode a couple of dogs in my time. Leave it at that. (laughs) And And I imagine that in his accent, I've rode a couple of fucking dogs in my time. Just leave it. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> the thing is right so at radio x obviously we get a lot of stick for like oh you know all you do is talk about the gallagher brothers because they're funny they're, yeah, there's they're not are. many there's not many you know the, most bands and rock stars nowadays they're not as fun as they used to be they take yeah. themselves too seriously they've got you know they've got a personal shopper they've got a designer they got they got their own clothes label they've got all this other stuff going on they never give a funny quote in any interviews, so we're still clinging on to Liam and Noel because they're funny. Liam's they more funny on Twitter than all the other, you know, lead men in all the <laughs> bands yeah. at the moment, and so we end up talking about them because they're funny. Like all the rock, all the books that I've read, all the rock autobiographies, you know, your Keith Richards and your Elton Johns and stuff. It's just a, it was just a funnier time, wasn't it? Just a better time.
0: Uh, have you read Elton John's biography?
1: Uh, I've sta- I've out? started it. I've just uh, I've started it, but I've read a few extracts. When he was uh, putting, he put a few extracts in the papers, and I read it. But I mean, I'm a huge Elton John fan as well. But uh, I I just love the fact that him and Eminem are best mates.
0: I know that's bizarre.
1: It's such a strange partnership.
0: He addresses it in the book, I'm sure. So I got the audio. Like I'm obsessed with Elton John. Like I'm, I'm of the opinion that Elton John is the greatest living performer that's left. <clears throat> and he's always been one of the greatest. But I'm obsessed with him. But when I watched the film and then I immediately got his his audiobook, well when it came out. And uh it was like eighteen hours and it's Taron Edgerton that reads it. And it does not pull it doesn't hold back. Like he really it's all laid out there, even warts and all, and you know him like analysing the the feelings and his own character. It's just probably the most honest book I've ever read. And from there, I just the, the obsession just ra- was raised even higher. I think Elton John helped Eminem with his uh, with his addiction, uh, and I think that's how, um, he might be a sponsor actually. But that's how the um, that's where that relationship came about. There was a point, there was something I was going to say, what was it? Oh, I can't remember yes. now, but I.
1: He is his sponsor, and that well, because because uh, I was obsessed of Eminem, like obsessed of Eminem, to the point that I dyed my hair white blonde when I was about fourteen years <laughs> old in the summer holiday. I was absolutely, I still am obsessed with Eminem as well. But I always loved Elton John, and then they did that performance at the Grammys where they did Stan, yeah. But Elton Elton did the part that was usually Dido in the in the chorus, and uh I must have watched that YouTube video a thousand times. But it all started from there, and they're best mates to this day. And yeah, he was Eminem's sponsor, and didn't Eminem? I think Eminem gave Elton John for his wedding present a jewel encrusted butt plug. Is that right?
0: Yes, he did. I read that. I did read what that. A did waste of, that. What
1: a waste of jewels, just shoving them up your ass.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, Make if, a necklace that, out of them. <laughs> if that doesn't doesn't sort of symbolise Elton John's opulence, then what does? <laughs> see these diamonds see these diamonds that you yeah. can never afford i'll stick them right up <laughs> <on> my ass <laughs> yeah Quite these, literally. these
1: diamonds got picked in sierra leone so that i could shove them up my ass <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but i suppose I, I hate talking about this because it's like giving something horrible the time and, and airtime that i don't want to give it but it's reality Coronavirus, have you adapted your working schedule? I suppose you have. Are you just doing the show from home?
1: Uh, No. So, so weirdly, so I'm pretty sure that I had the virus about three weeks ago. Um, I mean, problem is I never got tested, but uh, my missus and I, just out of nowhere, I broke out in mad. I was just in a had a massive fever, was sweating loads, lost the whole smell and taste thing and everything, and I was bed bound for about five days. So, I've did the whole two weeks isolation. Um, and the first week I just took off work. The second week I felt fine, but I uh, still obviously had to do another week of it. So I did my shows from home. Um, but I've been going in uh, as of last week. I've been I've been getting a black cab in in the morning because uh, I was trying to work out the most hygienic way of getting into work. And I've been getting a black cab because obviously there's the screen between you and the driver. Um, yeah. And I know that and those guys are struggling at the minute as well. I feel quite good giving them like 15 quid in the morning because they're getting no work at all um and then i'm walking i'm walking home um which is about I don't know it's about two miles or something but um yeah well because if i don't go in someone else has to go in to press the button so either way someone's got to go in so i was like do you know what i'll do it but uh so i'm i'm it's weird you know you feel a bit guilty going to work every day and uh and when you're walking home you feel like everyone's looking at you going well hang on mate why are you out um but if i don't go in somebody else would have to go in so someone's got going either way but um Yeah, I mean, to be honest, though, but I've had, my, you know, my sister has lost her job. I've had another mate lose his job, a couple being furloughed and stuff. So I can't whinge. Like, I'm very fortunate to do what I do at the best of times, but especially at the moment. I have to say as well, like, what radio, it sounds so cheesy. And I'm trying to say it in a way where I don't sound like a massive, pretentious dickhead who thinks he's saving the world. But uh, it feels quite important at the minute. It's probably the first time ever I've done radio and felt like, it's actually really doing something because normally I'm on in the background when people are at work or working from home or listening in the background, I play a few tunes and I crack a few knob gags and I go home or whatever. But the re- the reaction from the audience is huge at the minute. Cause I mean, my show never been bigger <laughs> <Because> <laughs> from a, from a personal point of view, coronavirus is doing wonders for my listening figures. but uh, <laughs> Cause everyone's at over at the minute, but we're getting lots of nice messages from people being like, it's so nice hearing you guys actually a voice that isn't just my kids or my partner or whatever, and having a bit of fun and hearing some good music and stuff. Yeah. So I think people are really appreciating radio at the minute and not just Radio X, obviously I'm biased. I think we're sounding great, but every radio station in the country is um, is is delivering it, whether it's working from home or what. And uh, yeah, it actually feels like radio's quite sexy at the moment in terms of, I think people have completed Netflix. If, if there's nothing left oh, to watch, yeah. you've all, so radio's doing well at the minute in terms of, uh I feel like it's hopefully making people's days a, a bit easier. But it's such a weird time. It's such a weird yeah, time.
0: It's utterly bizarre, but I totally get that, though. People are looking for some, as you say, like a distraction, something else to listen to, a semblance of normality, but also a bit of fun and a bit of entertainment because we're, we're locked up. You know, like feel like fucking Akon, just constantly walking about the house, like <laughs> nothing to do, nowhere to like. Can't really go. I can go for a walk, but you can't really take the piss and be out for hours. So it's like this weird limbo. So uh, you know, if you're taking that, just taking people's minds off it, then then it, it is doing a a, a great job. You know, you're saying so like you're younger, like... for
1: your younger listeners who uh, who didn't know about the coughing scandal in Millionaire, I should also explain that Akon uh, was a rapper who had about four big hits about 15 <laughs> years ago. In case that reference went over your head, at all. <laughs> I know, I know I could, I'm glad you
0: made that point because I couldn't then explain my own <laughs> joke. <laughs> If at home it,
1: you're playing or... Blevin Bingo, where you were trying to guess what we talk about in this podcast, if you had a you can give that a tick. <laughs> Don't worry.
0: <laughs> people people will have prank calls on the thing. We'll, we'll come to that because I've got one. I want to tell you. Somebody emailed me one, and I right, okay. I hope, I, I hope he's all right with me telling it. I'm sure he will be. It's a wee bit. It was yeah. quite cruel. It was cruel, but it was funny. Um, but, you know,
1: some of the best. Sometimes you've got to be cruel to be funny. That's
0: ex- exactly. That's What's the? you yeah, um, talking about
1: sorry there you go. No, I was just gonna say that this whole lockdown thing, like I mean, I don't understand how people are struggling to stay indoors so much. Larry David on Twitter hit the nail on the head. He goes, What why are people still going outside? You've been given a once-in-a-lifetime chance to sit on the sofa and watch TV guilt free and do nothing all day. How are people struggling with that? The same people that keep going outside now are the same ones that for the last 10 years have been going to anyone that listen. I just need a break. I'd love to have a week off and just do nothing. Do nothing. <laughs> do nothing. Just go. I know. Just don't sucks. go anywhere. It's, it's sunny st- and it's nice outside. I get all that, but fuck it. It's only for know. a few months. For the rest
0: of your life. The quicker, the quicker, or the more that we we stay stay put and don't go anywhere, the quicker this can get over. I was reading. Yeah. There's a, there's a potential for a red, amber, green um system being implemented when you know we kind of get over the worst of it in the sense of it being okay some shops can tentatively open uh, or or some other services can open then the armor would be right more things will open but we still observe social distancing then that gets us through a period so it's like a gradual introduction to normality and all we need to do is just stay put don't see anybody, limit the spread and uh, and the, the more we do that, the sooner we can get back to normal and at least the the most part of a summer we can try and grasp from the jaws yeah. of, of defeat anyway.
1: I'll tell you who's having a really tough time at the minute is uh, blokes that were having affairs. That's tough.
0: <laughs> I know. Because
1: you got, normally, you know, you, you, oh, I'd, I'm, I'm staying late at work or I'm going to meet my <laughs> mate at the pub or you know, I've got to go to this conference in 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 Bournemouth, you know. But all those excuses, <laughs> they can't work. Instead, you know, they've got they've got to go back to their unhappy marriage, hang out with their wife all day. You know, their beautiful mistress. They can't go yeah. see him. Terrible, that's
0: a, terrible. That's the punishment for their bad behaviour. Do you think they yeah, robbers? Um...
1: Robbers are having a nightmare. Everyone's in. <laughs> I
0: know drug dealers <laughs> will be struggling as well because they can't drug import dealers. anything. They can't really take it anywhere.
1: No, that's true. Poor drug dealers. Although I've got a few mates that I think are single-handedly keeping them afloat. I wouldn't worry about them too much. But uh, <laughs> yeah, ter- terrible times with blokes having affairs, robbers and drug dealers.
0: Speaking of relationships in that sense, do you think we'll see couples splitting up where they're just like, I fucking hate you. Like it's been cemented and that's them. They're finished.
1: Yeah, it's it's well. apparently in China that happened. In lots of the places that have been in lockdown, um, divorces have gone absolutely through the roof, basically, since inter-ended i think we'll see a record number of divorces and a record number of babies in about nine months time as well when i was saying i said on my radio x show that we'll have a record number of babies in about nine months time but somebody texted in saying actually there'll be a lot of people having babies but also people that have been locked in with their kids for ages and never having kids ever again so it's going uh, to be yeah. a it's nature's condom it's isolation
0: well, there was a question I wanted to ask you um, in relation to that because last year you made what seemed like a very um, valuable public service announcement advising men on the most valuable <laughs> time on the most valuable time to have a child that backfired quite significantly. Can you explain the details of that, oh, please?
1: Mate, <laughs> mate, I've literally got death threats from blokes about this. So I, I thought I was being really useful, right? So what happened was. I worked out on my radio X show. I worked out the maths and I said, I know this is a huge stereotype because women watch football as well. But I said, right guys, here's the thing paternity leave. You get maybe a month maximum. So if you knock up your partner now, this is about seven, (laughs) eight months ago. I said, if you knock up your partner now, then in nine months time, you'll get paternity leave as the euros is on, right? The football's on. And Lots of blokes, I thought I'd said it jokingly, lots of blokes genuinely went, that's genius. <laughs> and now, because of coronavirus, the Euros has been postponed till next year. So rather than my genius plan of you getting your partner pregnant, nine months from now getting paternity leave for a month, instead, what's happened is you've got no football and you're trapped indoors with a heavily pregnant woman. So I am just so sorry. So many blokes have been messaging me going, Tarrant, you bastard you fucker you have you, <laughs> you don't realise. I was meant to be watching I was meant to be watching something like Turkey and Dora right now and instead I've got a enough. fuming heavily pregnant message so yes oh mate sorry about that if you are one of those guys I am sorry
0: you see well looking at it this way right they might be going through a wee bit of hell but it's nothing compared to the hell they would have been going through if everything was normal they had the baby and they said something like Oh, here, can you shut that baby up? I'm trying to watch San Marino versus the Czech Republic here and I kind <laughs> concentrate on what's going on. So the, the, yeah. the consequences of that would have been far worse than what they're dealing with just now. That's true, because that's true. I mean, if
1: the blokes had not taken... By the way, any—I also, I don't actually feel sorry for them because anyone that's taking life advice from me and my radio tape, <laughs> I mean, you're a moron.
0: You're, you know, a form, the baby's the least of your worries. That's a form of Darwinism. Anybody that's listening to that, well, do you know what? you know you're you're a fool you're
1: a fool yourself it's a natural selection exactly but also you don't want a newborn baby during the euros you want to concentrate on the football exactly you want to enjoy you don't want a screaming baby so yeah if you listen to my advice you've you've only got yourself to blame to be honest with you but uh, yes sorry about that I've got so many angry blokes on my twitter still
0: (laughs) (laughs) has Has lockdown made you realize anything quite profound or significant because a lot of people are having sort of you know, epiphanies about life. I've had quite a few in what in sense of what really matters to me and what I value. Have you had that? Ah, oh, fucking
1: out. I mean, I'll tell you no. No, in a word, <laughs> I'll,
0: tell, I'll,
1: tell, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what I've learned. Right, this is what I've learned in in lockdown that I am a lazy bastard, and that all all the time, right, I've always got these ideas. I watch Dragons Den every week, and I sit there and I go, oh, I've got an idea. I've got an idea for an app. I've got an idea for this. Oh, I really want to make this TV show. I really want to do this. Oh, I'm going to do this podcast. I'm going to write this sitcom. And I always go, if only I had the time. Now, I've got the time and I'm still not doing them. So I can never lie to myself ever again. I can never walk around after this is over going, "Ah, oh, if I had the time, I'd I'd be doing so much. turns out, no, I wouldn't. It turns out I'd play loads of football manager and finish netflix that's how it turns out that's what i would do if i had time what What's what have the, you learned that's so profound because i've learned nothing other than my girlfriend can't cut hair as well i look like kim jong un
0: well I, I started trying to cut mine a wee bit on my own and i just was like oh, fuck this i'll just let it grow and then i can i can get a good haircut once it's all over whenever that is i mean in terms of me realizing stuff it's not been anything like major i've le- i mean my sleeping pattern has been fucking mental because i'm sitting right. up watching netflix and i'm watching like one one habit I've got into is watching old Scottish and English Premier League games and Champions League games from like <laughs> two thousand and five. But watching the entire program, like from the start, pre match coverage, and it's it's pure nostalgia. But that was when I really loved. I mean, aside from Celtic, which is obviously a main constant, I'm not as interested in in other leagues and other teams as I used to be. Maybe. But pre 2012, it was obsession. So I'm sitting watching like Man United playing Real Madrid in the Champions League in 2003, and and just all like all these old games. of Man U playing away against Juventus um, and Milan, and it's just been amazing. But I'm losing so many hours, and then it's getting to like three, four in the morning, and I'm like, well, it doesn't matter what time I get up because I can't go anywhere. Like I can still do any work I need to do. So I just started convincing myself that it's fine to be awake to five in the morning, like, watching just the the most bizarre of things. But, I mean, I suppose a detachment from materialism. Like, I'm really even less bothered about stuff. uh, Yeah. And and just those wee things, like, not being able to see family, not being able to go out, or even just go for a coffee or get to the gym. Like, that's the thing that's killing me most, because I do that every day. That's just routine. So not being able to do that. And I think once it's over, once I get to go and like see, like as I saw my mum through a window, so being able to give my mum a hug or see my grandpa, who I spend a lot of time with, or just go and see pals and, and just do those wee things, I think I'll, I'll massively appreciate them. Hopefully for a while anyway, until human nature sets in and you start taking it for granted. But hopefully I'll keep this memory sort of fresh in the head because it's as much as there's a funny side in that, that is shit, like you can't you can't do it. I don't want to be yeah. depressing or, or, or like a, on a downer or anything about it.
1: But it's like I just can't. It's wait uh, no, it's tough. It's um, I I've I've found definitely not seeing my mum and dad the hardest bit. Um, oh, yes. just you know, I'm chatting I'm chatting them on the phone pretty much every day or every other day and stuff. But uh not seeing them, it's mo- it's not even the not seeing them. It's the not knowing when you'll see them that I find uh. tough. Because I've gone three, four weeks without seeing my mum and dad in recent years because they've been aware I've been away or we've just been busy, or whatever. So it's not that. It's the, you know, if they, if the government turned around tomorrow and said, right, you know, July fourteenth, you can see your dad. Yeah. I'll go. Sweet. I've got, I've got a time in mind now. I've just got to hang on July fourteenth. But yeah, the, I think the not knowing, I think mentally the not knowing is really tough. And uh, so Pippa and I, because we obviously isolated because I was ill two weeks before everyone else, so we were kind of two weeks ahead of everyone. And we we had a couple of just days where we woke up feeling quite flat um, about the whole thing, really. We've kind of stopped watching the news. I know, like, the news is too I've depressing stopped. at the
0: minute. Yeah, I've stopped. Yeah. And it's,
1: well, I was just going to say that, obviously, you know, you need anything that really important that comes out from the Prime Minister's briefing, you get on your phone or your mates let you know what's going on and stuff. But I can't watch half an hour of it. I can't, it sounds terrible, but I can't, I can't watch half an hour of it. It's mentally, it fucks you up.
0: I'm the exact same. Any major information will make its way to you, and I'll, I'll watch the briefings for like the first ten, fifteen minutes, and then go, "Okay, have we got the, the important information?" Yeah. Like it's going off because you just end up dwelling on it.
1: Yeah, it's it's so sad, man, and and you know it, it's you it's terrible. You become numb almost because when this whole thing started, you know, I remember when that first person got coronavirus in the northeast of England, and that feels like only yesterday. Then there was the first death in Berkshire, Reading area, I think it was. And now you turn on the news and they go, you know, 500 today in the UK and a thousand in New York and 600 in Italy. It's crazy numbers now. So it is. Uh, it is, I, we've kind of, I think the numbers have really made the reality hit home. And now you've just got to accept your lot, sit at home, stay indoors. It is what it is. It's not ideal, but it's Don't, the numbers are, yeah. are terrifying, man.
0: But it is, I keep saying
1: to my dad, I keep saying, you know, my dad's 73. He can't get this thing. He can't. It's dangerous for my dad to get this thing. You know, he's had health issues in the past and he's 73 years old. So he's being sensible. He's locked himself away and whatever. Um, But I just keep saying to him, I'm like, look, it's three, four, five, six months for the rest of your life. So in five years time, we'll look back and, you know, almost laugh about this whole time. But for now, just stay indoors and don't be a knob. (laughs) It's really not...
0: I'm just waiting, for just
1: one day I just want Boris Johnson or Matt Matt Hancock to turn around in the briefing and go, look, just can everyone just stop being a knobhead? Just, it's really not, but basically that's the tagline. Just don't be a knobhead and everything will be all right.
0: There's been a bit of scandal up here because this chief medical officer for Scotland has been found to be, like she's been travelling to her holiday home. I think she's been like twice and she's she's now resigned because there was an outcry and it's like, it's a catch 22 because you obviously you want to have her medical expertise because she has the job for a reason she's obviously the, one of the best minds to have but at the same time it's like you can't be on the news and the radio and the TV 100 times a day telling everyone stay at home do not go anywhere but then you go and do that so it's like wait a minute like why is it okay for you to go and do it if you know if it's not for anybody else um, yeah
1: that's it i mean i saw that story and i i mean do you know what? I, I don't get how much medical expertise she's got. If you can be that stupid, yeah, oh, you don't, course, you don't, you don't want her that high up. Anyone that what are you doing? You must know that everybody knows who you are. You're recognizable, and you're strolling, strolling down the beach or whatever. Yeah, no, she. I uh, yeah, I, I think you'll be all right without her.
0: I know. I hope so. I do hope so. And it's been taught with the nature of Scottish society at this juncture. It's been weaponized or politicized. Which to a degree you can understand, but it's it's like a bloody hell. Nobody wins here. Like no one's a winner here.
1: No, and and I feel sorry. You know, I'm not a. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call myself a fan of this conservative government at all. But I do feel a little bit of sympathy for them at the moment. In terms of, there's no precedent for this. Yeah. You know, there's. What's the point in lambasting any any regimes at the minute? Because nobody knows what the right answer is. We've never faced anything like this before, and you're always gonna make a wrong decision in someone's eyes somewhere at the minute. But, yeah. you know, I mean, unless you go, I mean, I mean Donald Trump's just an idiot, but, uh, but yeah. that's a whole different, that's a whole different ball game. But uh, no, I, do, I don't, I don't think that the government have really got a leg, like got a leg to stand on the moment. It's very hard to criticize them too much because no one knows. Nobody knows what the right move is. Nobody has a clue. Um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of an inevitable thing that we can't do much about, but, you know, it's great. We'll, we'll talk about this. in I don't know if we got a letter through from the Prime Minister. Did you get one of these over the weekend?
0: Not, not yet. No, There's not made. The so we've got
1: yet. a letter signed. Obviously, it's not you know handwritten. But uh, if it was Boris, it would be in crayon anyway. But, uh, <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> we've got a letter from the Prime Minister. You know, basically just saying what we already knew about social distancing, staying signed, and stuff. My girlfriend and I were like, "That's momentous. Like we should never lose that because this is the sort of thing in. We're we talking about this coronavirus in? 20, 30, 40 years time when we were all locked indoors for a, a summer and stuff yeah. like that. Like it is, you know, the, the queen doing a, a, a dress last night was mad. I'm, I'm not used to it. Not being at Christmas. I felt like yeah. I should be drunk and arguing with my family. I was like, this is weird. <laughs> we're, we're, I'm, not, I'm not, I shouldn't be, I should be absolutely levered and have eaten too much Turkey before I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a, it's a it's a mad time, but I do think we'll talk about it for generations. I really do. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. It's utterly bizarre, but um, you can hope that there'll be, at least be some some positives that we can take from, even if it's just enjoying life that bit more. And I suppose, imagine imagine the party when it's safe to do so. Imagine the parties. Nobody's going to say oh, no mate. to a night out or the pub or or a barbecue or a boozy night in. Like it's going to be so much fun.
1: Well, you were saying earlier about that uh, red, amber, green. They've got to do that because if you just let us all in the pub at once, mate, someone's going to get hurt. It's going to be dangerous, that. <laughs> I, know, I
0: know, I know. Especially up here in Scotland. like We've already got a reputation for it the best of times, so you can't just put everybody mate, back out.
1: It, I don't, it's going to be it's going to be the maddest night ever. I can't wait. It's going to be great. It's, I'll tell you, the ones that are going to be nuts is the 70-year-olds the plus that have survived it. They're going to be yeah. the drunkest of the lot. I
0: know. Oh, it's
1: going to be a um, one. Yeah, it is. And that, that is exactly, yeah, it's, uh, you've got to, it's weird, like mentally, I think it's really tough. And I'm very lucky that, um, you know, I live here with my girlfriend and we get along very well, which is useful. But there must be so many horrible situations. And also people that, people that live alone and stuff, like mentally, is, it must be so tough at the minute. But I would say this is the nicest I've ever seen social media. If if you're talking about positives to take out of this whole thing, we, you know, sadly, obviously, the coronavirus and the pandemic itself is horrifying, but we are seeing the absolute best of humanity in amongst it. That clap for the uh, clap for the carers is. When was the last time the country ever felt united in anything with Brexit and everything going on at the surface the last few years? Like. I do think on Twitter, every single day you're turning on and you're seeing, you know, nurses doing amazing things and people in communities doing amazing things. And social media seems like a a safe haven, which I never thought I'd say in my life. Normally, oh, no. social media is a cesspit that you, is the worst thing you can be. But I think social media at the minute is actually showing there's not as many assholes in the world as, as we thought there was. So if there's one positive from that, there are nice people out there. They're just normally quieter than the assholes.
0: That's it. And it's it's the first thing and I would say possibly the first thing in history where we all have the almost the exact same um level of of interest in it because even people are making comparisons to like the world war uh, world war 1 and world war 2 but you could make the argument that somebody who lives in a very remote outpost would not be as affected as someone who's in the center of london let's say Whereas with this, we are all completely um, on the same level here. So we have to be pulling in the same direction. You just, as you say, hope hope that these things then, these attitudes or these sort of perspectives and paradigms will continue to exist and and thrive once this is done. I won't hold my breath because people have got a habit of letting you down, but you never know. Let's have some faith, I suppose.
1: Well, as you said, you know, you don't. I like to think that when, when this is all over, I'll really appreciate the spending time with my family and seeing my mates and, and just things like just going and having a quick pint in the pub on the way home or whatever. Um, yeah. Human nature, like you said, sadly kicks in and you soon get comfortable in your, in your life again. But it would be nice if something positive came out of all of this, even if it is a sense of community and a sense of unity again, because God knows that the UK probably more than anywhere at the moment needs it. Um. Yeah. Let's hope so. But like I say, I never thought I'd see the day where social media was a nice place to go. It was a place <laughs> no. to go and pick your spirits up. So yeah. No, no. So there's there's good in amongst it, and uh, there's some amazing human beings out there, which we're we're seeing at the moment.
0: Well, when as all over, I'll get myself down to London. We'll play football on that roof in Battersea again. We'll go to that wee pub. Yeah, will be smashing.
1: Absolutely. It's my. I'm missing just. I mean, I think my whole cricket season's going to go out the window and. Playing golf and stuff in the summer, but missing seven a side football on a Monday. I'll never take it for granted again. I'll never, all those nights getting nutmegged by 16 year olds, I've missed them. <laughs>
0: Gordon <laughs> Smart screaming at you to give
1: them the ball. Yeah. And a 40, 45 year old man calling me a bell end every five minutes. I've missed that. I've missed that. So, yeah, it's the small things in life.
0: Oh, I'll not, not keep you too much longer. I'm sure you've got a busy night. Of, um... What's this?
1: I want to hear this prank before I go, though. I oh, want to hear this prank that mate I... sent
0: you. Fuck, guys, so last miss-
1: time we did this podcast, we ended up just chatting about pranks for about, I can't remember, about an hour and a half.
0: It's, it's one of my f- my f- favourite things I've ever recorded, literally just talking about. So if anyone's not heard it, you can go back and hear the episode with Toby from November uh, 2019. And we basically spoke about school pranks and school windups. Do you know, I've actually heard loads and I've forgotten them now. Have you have, have you had any more come to come to your memory? No,
1: i not. Now I'm trying to I'm trying to think I I think I've been relatively well behaved. I mean my the problem is all my focus that used to go into pranking big mates is now I just spend all day seeing how many different ways I can annoy my girlfriend. It's basically just that, but it it, it kills the time. It passes the time. She's going to you know talk about divorce rates at the end of this. I mean the the minute this isolation's over she's leaving me and and I'll be honest, I'll help her pack her bags. I don't blame her. I <laughs> understand yeah. <laughs> I'll 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 call her cab. Uh, she you know she's
0: done well to survive as long as she has. Right, right okay. So here so, so what's the
1: background to this? So your mate just messaged you going, "I've played a blinder here."
0: It's an email from a guy who I haven't spoken to before. Um, right. I don't. I'm, I'm I'm in order to protect his identity, I'll just say it's John P. Uh, and John has sent me an email. So John and his surname begins with P. Just I don't want to fully name him just in case he's not happy with that. John, I'm I'm sorry, mate. I did just get your email this morning um, because I was going through a backlog. So I'm sorry I didn't get back to you. I will have emailed you before you hear this. So John, I'll just read the email out, right? So John emailed saying, all right, mate, I've just listened to the Toby Tarrant pod and I love the wind up stories. So I thought I'd share one. My mate, who's an electrician, was always sending deliveries to our houses and taxis, etc. So I tried to get him back, but being the wind-up merchant that he is, he carried it on and grew it into an even bigger wind-up. They've been on for about two weeks. I created a Gumtree ad looking for electricians for an immediate start in Glasgow. The fake company names—this <laughs> is what I find hilarious—the fake company name <laughs> was Gables Cables, and the owner was Martin Gable. <laughs> the ad said I'm looking for electricians to start immediately for a large contract we will put the money on the table if you work for Gables Gables." (laughs) Cables Gables Gables Cables favours men who are able we want to hire men who are payable willing and able to work in a stable environment for a company (laughs) who are capable contact Martin (laughs) contact Martin Gable now for an immediate start and I then listed I listed my mate Kev's phone number as the contact details. Kev was then flooded with phone calls from from electricians looking for a job. He was working in town one day and finished at twelve thirty on a Friday. So we started setting up interviews for the Friday at one PM in Weatherspoons. He told them to send in a selfie and picture of their tools, among other stupid shit that no interview process would ever contain. And he managed to get a good few of them to do this. And he told about six different electricians to go up to the bar in Weatherspoons and ask for Martin Gable's table at 1pm on the Friday. He told them... He told them all to bring their favourite screwdriver. (laughs) Then it says, him and two of his workmates went and got a table next to the bar and sat a bit of paper on the table across from them with Gables Cables table written on it and just sat there boozing to see what happened. He said, two sparks turned up separately with a screwdriver and a drill set and asked the bar for Gables Cables table. And eventually sat down at the table next to my mates. He couldn't write it. It says that he managed to find two of the guys' works. So it didn't end badly, but it was a hilarious, a hilarious That's builder.
1: very, very strong.
0: I was missing right, myself to, uh, reading it.
1: You know, I said I wasn't using my time productively at all. I'm going to yeah. try and use this time to come up with a wonderful prank. I've just got to, I've just got to work out the details. But that's, that's my promise to you. And when we do this podcast, whenever from now. We can, we, yeah. Why don't we both come up with one in isolation and we'll compare notes in the future.
0: Aye. Okay, let's do it. The uh, yeah. did I, By the way, this is one i quite like to tell. I didn't tell you about the ref, the Scottish referendum wind-ups, did I? I don't think
1: so. I don't right, think so I, so.
0: I didn't think I did. So basically, again, work, at that time when I was working in the office in, in Barcelona and just always doing wind-ups, so this was about four or five months before the Scottish independence referendum. And I phoned loads of people who I knew were pro independence. And what I did is a base. this is how it went. I would call up and say, Hi there, can I speak to Paul, please? And he'd go, Yep. <laughs> Hi, Paul. My name's uh, Robert, and I'm calling on behalf of YouGov. We are doing an independent survey. and We're contacting people who are going to be affected by the upcoming Scottish independence referendum. Do you mind just having a little chat with me? If I ask you a few questions, is that all right? It's completely impartial, and this information won't be shared with any third parties. So he's immediately right. Why does he think that's going to be anybody? So I kept doing this voice, and I basically said, I asked him loads of arbitrary, (laughs) arbitrary questions, such as, would you? Uh, where are you based? Where are you domiciled in Scotland? Um, what profession are you working in? Have you voted in general elections in the past? And then I would say, are you going to participate in the Scottish independence referendum? And they would say yes. So I did this to my uncle. And he said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be participating." I said, "All right. Well, you don't have to share that information with me, but would you be be willing to divulge the way which you intend to vote?" And he said, "Yes, I would. Uh, I'll, I'll be voting yes for independence." So I said, "All right, great, fantastic. Um, do you have any particular reason that's making you you go that way?" So he said something along the lines of, "I think that we're financially capable of being, you know, viable on our own." And I just went. <laughs> funny that anyway so I asked the next question and he fucking straight away he went, what do you mean funny that what's funny and I went well I mean you, you sound like a nice guy um do you mind if I speak frankly so he's like okay yeah on you go and I said well how are you going to pay for like all the methadone and stuff because obviously you guys have got a lot of heroin addicts up in Scotland and stuff <laughs> Mate, he just was in like all all in
1: this, all in this terribly camp voice,
0: yeah, because he just completely bought that he was speaking to someone who was was completely legitimate. I did this to loads of people, and then I said something like, Um, I think I said, He said, you know, we get free university education and stuff up here, and it's the country's very progressive. And then I said, Well, I mean, (laughs) you, you obviously didn't go to university though and he's like what, what the-? so he took major offence and he's like what do you mean I didn't go to university and I was like well you can just tell by the way you're speaking like that you didn't you've not been formally educated <laughs> mate he's like he didn't even he couldn't even sit back he's like who the fuck you, you fu-? just like pure anger I did it to my mate I did it to uh, my pal Sean Toner and he said his reply was I will take your face for a shite you cunt if I ever fucking see you I'll knock you like, right, don't, don't hold back. If anything, that proving,
1: proving your theory that they hadn't gone to university, to be exactly, fair. Exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> that, uh, that was one of my favourites. It's just so easy. If you can just lure people in and just convince them that they're speaking to somebody, but that, that's a great idea. So there's a challenge. Um, Do you
1: know a really simple one? Now, I can't remember again. It was so long ago on the last podcast where I talked about this one, but a really, really simple one that you can play on your mates every week. Is uh we were once went to the we were going to the cinema. I can't remember what we we're seeing. Can't remember if I told you this as well. My mate Rowley messaged us, who's called Chris, and he messaged us going, Can you guys buy me a ticket so I'm sat with you and leave it behind reception or whatever? Because I'm being late. We said, Yeah, no worries. <laughs> so we get the ticket, we go into cinema, or whatever, we leave one behind. We message him saying, Right, mate, we've got your ticket, um, but you've got to ask for it. It's under the name Big Papa. Right? So 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 he's like, You fucking dickheads. So he walks into the Odeon, walks into the Odeon, goes up to like the ticket office and goes, Hi, I'm collecting a ticket. Um, it's for Big Papa. The thing was, (laughs) we just put it on we just put it under
0: Chris. (laughs) Big Papa
1: Amazing. He's gone up to this woman and gone. Uh, is there a couple of tickets for Big Papa? And she's gone, uh, there's there's one for Chris. He's like, oh yeah, no, that, that's me. She's like, why did you call yourself Big Papa? He, he's like, <laughs> he's like just, can I just have the tickets?
0: <laughs> oh, I'm mortified.
1: <laughs> a very uh, simple
0: did, one, but very effective. I, I, did, I released an episode about a week ago called Hilarious Humiliations. And it was basically just me reading out all the things that people had sent in to me about times when they'd made a mess or like they've got words mixed up. So it all started right. off because I tried to say on the phone, uh, no worries. Or I tried to say no problem. And then I tried to say no worries. Like I went to change halfway through in my mind. And what came out was no problems, And it was just really embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I was fucking mortified. So I shared it. So then. That's better than
1: no start- wobblins. No wobblings, no wobblings
0: know, is worse. I know. So people started <laughs> sharing like all their funny ones as well. And, like, things that he'd done, and I've, I've been sent in so many more, and I'm going to make a second episode. It was genuinely really funny, like, just reading out all the things that people had said. But you've just reminded me of saying Big Papa, where um, I told this story. I was working on, again in Barcelona, and this girl started, and she asked, she pointed at the big boss, and she's like, what's his name again? Because I need to get him to sign something off. And I said, his name's Patricio, but you have to, like, his nickname's Papi which basically means daddy, like in a very sexual overtone. So she's (laughs) – now, I just said it, like, just joking, and she went, all right, thank you, and just walked over to him. So I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to fucking call the boss daddy. (laughs) (laughs) So she walked over and said, hiya, puppy. Um, Can I just borrow you for one second? I need you to sign, and, like, everyone's jaw is, like, on the floor – because, again, if that doesn't mean anything to anyone who isn't a Spanish speaker, imagine the biggest <laughs> boss in your work and you walked over and said, hey, Daddy, um, can you come over and... <laughs> you,
1: you couldn't fill in these forms for me, could you, Daddy?
0: Did, did, you, did you
1: get the memo that I left on your desk, Daddy? <laughs> um, I've CC'd you in an email, but uh, just about the meeting on Tuesday. Thanks, Daddy. All right, see you in a bit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh you see you 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 putting it like that just makes it even funnier in my head They all just like looked at her and she was just totally oblivious and they were like she's saying this and she's completely owning it if anybody's got any any funny wind-ups please please email them to me or tweet me them and i will include them in the podcast because it's just my favorite fucking subject of all time just there's nothing funnier
1: we were put on this earth to wind up our mates, weren't we? If we're not winding up our mates, then what are we really doing?
0: Exactly, exactly. You should bring back wind ups. Like, you should get wind ups in your show. Or phone people and noise them up. Because what better way to spend your days?
1: I know they've they've gone and they radio pranks and hidden camera shows have, have died out. I'll, I'll bring them back. I'll bring them back.
0: That's it. The resurgence is urgency on. Um, right, mate. Well, I've got I've got a busy afternoon of walking between the uh, the hall and the living room. So I better get cracked with
1: <laughs> <about> it. <laughs> yeah, you wanna you wanna get stuck into that. Mate, been a pleasure. Good to speak to you.
0: As always, and I I will see you down south in London when all this is over.
1: Yeah, lovely, mate. We'll have a catch up in London. Nice one.
0: See you soon, my man.
1: Cheers, Sean. Cheers, mate.
0: like as humans, we are obsessed with defining ourselves. Identities have quickly become labels and vice versa. But the way I see it, human beings are much more complex, ever evolving and at times contradictory. My name is Sadia Khan. I'm fascinated by our relationship to our identities and different stories we are creating around them. I explore all of these dynamics on my podcast, Immigrantly. We drop new episodes every Tuesday. We are available wherever you get your podcasts.